ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, and I am delighted to bring you part two of our interview with Crack, the Funding Code author, Judy Robinette. This book is about how investors think and what they need to hear to fund your startup. Judy, so glad to have you back. Thanks, Chickie. I'm delighted to be here. Well, you know, you have covered a lot of ground since we were last together. You've been traveling, I think, New York and Austin that I know of. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your last uh, couple of weeks here. Yeah, so um, on on Saturday, which was my my birthday, so quite fun. I was at South by Southwest on a a panel uh, regarding how to get funded. And uh, I was with uh, the fellow who's in charge of startups for HubSpot. I mean, who who knew? They're looking for startups. Oh, wow. Um, I also met a, a fellow that looks for startups for Google Cloud, uh, talked to a woman who has a company called SoftBank, and it's with a C instead of a K, and they don't take equity. It's all based on your numbers, which is intriguing. And she sits on the equivalent of Shark Tank in Canada called the Dragon's Den. Huh. Um, so, so that was fun. And, you know, it's really nice to see the diversity starting to happen in the funding world. I, I met a woman um, who is on unusual uh, VC, uh, a, a, a black woman, which is nice. And I met another young black woman who actually has a VC fund in, in Salt Lake. And the one in Salt Lake is not necessarily focused on tech, but, wow. you know, all different sectors, which is nice. Well, I love hearing that. And, you know, this is really a, a perfect lead into what we're going to dive into today. So in, in part one of our interview, we really focused on cracking the code of entrepreneurial success. We talked about the funding mindset, how to think like an investor, which, you know, it, it's really a, a total shift for the entrepreneur to put themselves in that role because we get we fall so in love with what we've got we really forget that we're trying to solve the problem that the investor has, right? Exactly. And they want their money back and they want to know you can execute and and, uh, build a successful business. Exactly. So we talked about the three C's that investors seek. We talked about deal breakers and we touched just lightly on how to find the right investors. And I love it that you're sharing that we now have this whole new class of, in, well, not not new. We, we have this uh, emerging class of investors that has always been there, but it's been with the very, very large companies. I remember one of my first big consulting uh, gigs was with Intel Venture Capital. And so this was, gosh, 15 years ago at least. And, and so there've always been these pockets of corporate money looking for a strategic place, uh, you know, to help grow their own business, right? But now we have this Mm -hmm. new class that you just referred to of companies that are successful in their own right and who have uh, a lot of extra money uh, laying around on their balance sheet and, and are now looking for new and interesting ways to reinvest that. 
Yes, absolutely. So actually, there's now more corporate VCs than there are regular VCs. Really? Yeah. Um, and, and that's something significant. I mean, I'm always amazed when I go to these conferences and find out Google Cloud is looking for <laughs> uh, companies. And that one probably makes more sense. But, you know, HubSpot. Um, and, and I run into this all the time. Um, I was interviewed on Yahoo Finance TV and, and the same thing came up. I mean, even the media companies are, are looking for good strategic investments. Well, that, that's really exciting, particularly for me, because we do have something very specific in my company to offer both of those class of investors, uh, the media companies and companies like HubSpot, who have a, a technology that, that my company has a perfect fit for. So let's, let's back up, though, because we talked a little bit last time about who's got the money and, and is there money out there? And you said a resounding, absolutely, there's a ton of money. Um, so can we start with the funding roadmap? You know, how to find and reach the people who can help you? Well, you know, um, so there is no lack of money. I think uh, Credit Suisse says by next year we'll have $297 trillion in private global wealth, which really fits that, you know, friends and family. Yes. Where you start when you're just an, an idea. Um, as soon as you have a, a bit of customer market or product market fit, you've, you've found out uh, people really will open their wallet. Uh, then it's really time to look at angel investors. And there's 300 angel groups from north to south, east to west. Uh, they're, they're all over the country. And, you know, one of the secrets is 75% of those angels prefer to invest locally because they want to be involved in your company, help coach, help make sure that you're uh, a success and and also much as you found with your first company and having one individual write you a check for six million there's any number of individual investors out there that don't even show up really on a, a lot of the the research that says you know there's this kind of money out there right uh, besides these groups there are regional or national angel groups a, a good example is golden seeds which headquarters in new york uh, they have a group in boston a group in san francisco they meet monthly to look at deals um, and and that's important and it, you know also probably right after friends and family and before you go to angels it's amazing now that there's over a thousand incubators globally, and many of them are offering funding at the seed level. Right. Um, and some of them are actually hooking up with, with big companies. Uh, Dell has a partnership with Springboard, which focuses on, on women founders. Kay Koplovitz, who founded USA uh, Network, uh, has run Springboard for 19 years, and they've had 19 IPOs. Um, wow. And 180 plus strategic sales. So here's an incubator. The companies that have gone through have raised north of $7 billion. Oh, uh, wow. One of the most popular is uh, Y Combinator out of California. And, you know, they're taking applications now for this next class. And, and they're famous for, you know, investing and growing Dropbox. Uh, and several other well-known companies. I think Airbnb is another one of their graduates. And then 
after the angel groups, um, and, and actually you can consider finding money from wealthy families who've probably been a successful business, sold their company, and now want a certain percentage of their money towards startups because they know they deliver the best ROI. They're also the riskiest. And I actually read an article in Crunchbase that was published last year that said family offices are now seeing more deals than VCs. And, and I, I've true. seen that as well. I've seen that. But they're a little harder to find. They they like to remain a little bit uh, elusive. Well, I don't think so anymore. If you Google online family offices, there's organizations all across the United States. I just got one from Florida <laughs> inviting really? me to a family uh, office network. And so there's all kinds of organizations that cater to them and they have, you know, their own kind of attorneys and accountants, which you can figure out how to talk to and get into them. But if, if you just Google uh, family office investing, uh, there's another article that was in Crunchbase that had the top 10 family offices uh, that are most actively doing early stage deals. Wow. Wow. And, you know, I know a lot of folks that that has not been on their radar because it, it ha is a, a bit of a niche market that you do have to know some of the language and, and be able to work in the right circles. So that is really encouraging that they're becoming more visible. So, Judy, why don't we move on uh, to what is in your book, part three, what investors are looking for. And you begin with talking about the right founder and the right team. And, you know, founders come in, in a lot of different flavors, as you and I have discussed about my own business. I am both uh, a strategic thinker because I've had a strategic consulting firm for a number of years that has built multi-billion dollar uh, companies and done uh, M&A activity. But also, uh, I am also a creator of product, which is not unusual. Uh, sometimes that tech founder is actually the coder. Uh, in my case, I'm I'm not. I'm the designer and the solution uh, person. But tell us what is the the right kind of founder that is actually getting the funding, and then what constitutes the right team? Yeah. So I, I can tell you, you're right um, that funders come in in all flavors, and and I see no lack of people getting funded that have all different kind of characteristics from the charismatic kind of sales guy to the introverted uh, person that's got a heavy uh, tech background. And, and you can see this in the real world. You know, when Zuckerberg started, he was kind of shy and, and introverted. He's gotten a little better. Now he's had to be in front of congressional hearings. <laughs> mm -hmm. But people really, I think the number one thing is they're looking for people who are passionate about what they're going to do. Because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work and you're, you're going to hit the wall several <laughs> yes. times. And so they, they want somebody who really is passionate, is going to see the project through the end. And, uh, you know, they want a team that is going to execute. And probably besides the founder, the most critical thing is sell. Uh, you live and die by, by cash. Um, and actually, if you've figured out how to how to find some customers and have a realistic um, sell cycle identified, um, you'll be golden with investors because they they want to know that you can get customers. 
And as soon as you start getting customers, um, you know, then your, your funding becomes much, much easier. Exactly. So one of the things that I've heard is that they like to see teams that have worked together before. And then another uh, aspect I'd love for you to touch on is something that uh, I learned from uh, John uh, Libesay, who you had introduced me to, is they also like to see a team that has had exits and not necessarily together as a team, but individually that they're able to claim uh, a number of successful exits from businesses. What else would you add to that list, Judy? Well, you know, one thing I would clarify, that's more in the world of VCs. So VCs definitely would rather have a, a team that has been there and done it before. Uh, and actually, if you've been there and screwed up and had a bankruptcy, they're, they're actually more positive than if you haven't, because if you've learned your lessons, you're going to be further ahead uh, than, a, than a novice. And, yay! Uh, yay! That's great news! <laughs> Yeah, so so down in that angel realm, you know, you don't have to have had um, exits before. Right. Uh, so, you know, don't worry about that. Okay. Well, that that's interesting because uh, it was one of the things that I had not highlighted when I was putting together our deck. And and why don't we just talk a little bit uh, about the deck and, and the secrets of creating um, and delivering a compelling pitch. And then I want to come back and talk about business plan and clear financials as well. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people, like I recently had somebody contact me and they wanted me to review their deck and, oh my gosh, they had 69 slides. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a waste of time. Um, usually if you're going to present to an angel group, they want to see 10 to 12 slides. Right. So if you Google the New York Angels, you will find out exactly what most angel groups would like to see in their slide deck. Um, certainly the team is important. Also, most important is the size of the market you're going to go after. This is called the TAM, the Total Addressable Market. Don't make the mistake of saying you want one half of 1% of the Chinese market and you'll hit a billion dollars. Those those sales forecasts need to be from the bottom up. You know, how many people are going to make phone calls? How many people are you actually going to convert that are going to spend money? Right. Um, you need to have one on your competition. And what are the pluses and the minuses of your, your product compared to those people? And then one page on financials. Um, and I can send you a, a deck that you can post for people to use. And, and actually, I'll share the workbook that goes along with my book that goes through a lot of this. And the other thing I would recommend is that you follow the blog of Dick Wilson, who is known as AVC out of New York. He's had a billion dollar exit every year for the past six years. He's one of my favorite guys to follow. He talks about everything uh, down on an easy to understand level. And the second guy is Brad Feld out of the Foundry Group in Right, Colorado. I've interviewed Brad. I've interviewed Brad yeah. on my show. Yeah, so he's great. And so those things can be really helpful. And then the other thing I would recommend is people go to the SBA score, the Small Business Development Center. These all have resources and these people are good. They work with thousands of people, can help you with that pitch deck. Great. So let's back up a little bit and talk about the right business plan and clear financials. And by the way, thank you for the introduction that you made 
uh, on the financial front for me. And I'm just uh, in the process of reworking my financials so that I can share it back uh, with him and, and get his insights uh, on how to make them even clearer. Yeah, so so David Meister uh, was referred to me by the New York Angels, and and he just does a, a one year and kind of a, an overall instead of pages upon pages of financial forecasts. You know, after three years, it's probably not relevant. Exactly. <laughs> if you don't have customers, it may not be relevant uh, anyway. But they they want to see, and hopefully your numbers are conservative, and that you've done the research and make sure everything pencils out. So. You know, I've seen people that said they're going to get to a million and a half in sales and they don't have money in there to pay salespeople. Um, and so I always recommend that people meet with somebody like David and have them review your financials because he will test all of your assumptions and make sure they're they're accurate. And, you know, one of the sticking points for many founders is they don't know their numbers and it's absolutely clear or critical that, that you know your numbers right. and you speak to your margins, your customer acquisition costs, all of those things are critical. Right, right. And I, I'm totally with you on that, Judy. And I, I really did enjoy his his input and his assessment about what what is important. And it'll be really interesting to take this next step with David. Um, I have I have a question about uh, this and, and knowing your numbers, because I, I do know my numbers. I, I know my assumptions cold. I, you know, it's, it's all baked in exactly the way that you said it. My model starts with how many salespeople do you have? How many calls do they make? And then it all flows so that if you change that percentage of how many of the calls that they make, do they actually close? It flows out through everything else in the numbers. Now, having said that, I have a challenge uh, in that I have a hard time remembering numbers. You know, every day when I have to go reset a password and somebody sends me a six-digit code, six-digit numbers, uh, there's just something about my brain. I, I don't grab them. Is it a problem uh, in a meeting with an investor to have a cheat sheet, you know, that, that you have in front of you because I don't always remember numbers precisely. But again, I know them cold. It's not a matter of not knowing what I'm talking about, but I have a, a personal challenge in the ability to remember numbers. Um, absolutely. You know, having a, a, your, your page with your financials and having notes down the, the side, there's no problem with that at all. Okay, good. Well, that, that is encouraging because I worry about that a little bit because uh, again, I built my, my model from the ground up. It's something that I've used over many, many years, everything from building LasVegas.com from the ground up, you know, all the way through to my own ventures. And so, uh, you know, I think it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly how deeply I do know things, but, but it scares me a little bit thinking, you know, I, I watch people who can do math in their heads. My, my chairman of the yeah. board is like that. And I sit there and I think, how does he do that? Now, he may not yeah. be able to yeah. strategize on the fly the way I can, right? Of yeah, having exactly. a new prospect in front mm -hmm. of me where I can, you know, immediately make the, the cosmic connection of, of how, uh, how we work together. But anyway, let, let's move on a little bit and talk about risk mitigation. And, yeah. and the so kinds of... Let me just of, bring up one, one more point before oh, we okay. leave. 
So in those in those uh, presentations with angels, they usually just want to know kind of the top line numbers, you know, kind of like sales forecasts. They're not going to drill down into your business model until you enter due diligence. So you don't have to know every number in detail. So don't worry about that. Got it. Got it. Well, actually, I would say the opposite of that. You, you definitely do need to know it, but you also need to know what amount of information they want to digest in that early meeting. And again, it is often that someone like me who does know it down to that nth degree, uh, our natural inclination is to give too much information in the initial meeting, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. And you have 10 minutes to present at the typical angel group. And so you're not going to have time to, to go through in, in detail. I mean, usually what happens, they will ask about the team, your competition, your strategy, and, and they, you know, may talk about uh, a, a few numbers, but, you know, the majority of that will come in due diligence. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So let's talk risk and, and risk mitigation and how to make it easy for investors to say yes, right? Because there, there are always risks. I was looking yesterday at Expedia's 10K from last year, and I bet they have 15 pages of risks. Now, does that keep people from <laughs> yeah. investing in Expedia? No, absolutely yeah. not. But it is important to have outlined those. So how much do you actually talk about risk in those uh, early stage discussions with potential investors? Well, you know, they will, and, and part of that first presentation, uh, you know, they're making an assessment. Uh, can the team execute? You know, that that's always a risk. Uh, the second one is the market large enough for us to get a return because they're going to pencil out if, you know, I invest X amount of money, there's going to be an exit in five years. Is the market large enough that it's worth my investment? Um, a big risk is often by the angels that we say, can, will the dog eat the dog food? You know, a lot of people have brilliant ideas. They spend a lot of money developing. And at the end of the day, nobody will buy it. Right. Uh, for what, whatever reason. So a big risk is, you know, will the dog eat the dog food? And that's why if you've got a customer, an LOI, a contract, a signed contract, then that gives them assurance that indeed the dog will eat the dog food. <laughs> right. And so those are really important. And, and also the competition. Uh, they just recently had a, an article about you know, two companies that were going to go up against Facebook. And uh, of course, that didn't work. Um, Facebook has very, very, you know, deep pockets. So, you know, one of the things that I tell people is you look at your value proposition and you put the prettiest bow on the package you can. And if you've not been a founder before, it's good to surround yourself with a few really top-notch advisors. And, um, you know, angels and VCs talk about somebody that has some some gray hair that's been through it that can <laughs> help you. But I recently helped get a past director of Microsoft on an early stage board um, and recommended the first CFO from PayPal to be on a board. Now, that really adds credibility and investors go, oh, my gosh, if these kind of people are involved, they've done some research because it would hurt their reputation. Uh, to be involved in the company. Uh, another thing is, 
you know, the, the legal structure, it's uh, most VCs and angels will only work with a company that is a Delaware C Corp. Um, and, and that's professional smart money, which you typically right. want, uh, less likely to get involved in, in lawsuits. And we talked a little before about, you know, hair on the deal. It's important to have a high, high uh, level law firm. I love Wilson Sosini. They'll take a small percentage of your your company and delay billing for a year. Another one of my favorites is Cooley. And Cooley last year completed 790 some deals with a capital that was, I believe, 23 billion. And so these are people who are really well versed in knowing what startups need, how to structure those kind of deals and can open doors for you. You know, I, I tell people an attorney is an attorney. Most of them know everything there is to know about a contract. They do not know everything there is to know about startups, nor do they have the connections to funders uh, and potential right. strategic partners. And so those those are, are critically important. You don't want to have taken money from someone uh, that is. Um, so if you take money from people that aren't smart money, then if you need to get more money, that can raise concerns, um, and that will come up in what we call your cap table, who owns what percent of the, the company. So they're right. always looking at the decisions the founders are making early on. Are they smart decisions or not so smart? Right, right. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, again, I've, I've spent a lot of time on this particular front and have just an amazing uh group of advisors and, and I'm incredibly blessed, uh, you know, to have people, uh, like former, uh, partners at both Deloitte and, uh, EY and the former COO of MasterCard. And I mean, I just am, am beyond blessed. That's wonderful. And that's wonderful. And you are blessed. Well, and, and, and having you as, as a mentor is, a, is just another amazing uh, gift. And I, I just want to thank you for every minute of time you're able to give me because I know you're incredibly busy. But let's talk now about, let, let's say that you've gotten the hair off the deal, right? You've cleaned up <laughs> things and, and you actually have a term sheet, right? You have an investor or you have a group of investors, right? A uh, a syndicate. And I don't know if you and I talked about this, but in my very first um, uh, startup, and this was the one that I get to claim as my spectacular failure, which I say now with great pride and, and actually no, uh, no apologies for that, because you're right, you do have to learn some of those lessons by doing. And once you've got those lessons behind you, you never, ever uh, want to repeat them. And my my biggest learning from that venture, and, and you know, you you pointed out that I did get six million from a single investor here in Tampa, and that's correct. But what I don't know if you remember is the very first meeting that we had, my investor had put in two million at that point. And we went to New York City and we sat down with Woody Johnson, who is of Johnson and Johnson fame of, of the family, but he's the one who owns the New York Jets. And, you know, I'm sure he has a number of other investments and, and Don had done multiple deals with Woody and Woody had a syndicate of angels behind him. Right. So if Woody said yes, they would all come in and Don knew that. And so in that meeting, 
uh, Woody said yes, and one of his uh, one of his people was at the table, and and he came in for a much smaller amount, but he did come in. And then two weeks later, I get a phone call from Don, my local investor, and he says, I just heard from Woody and he's out because as they began to look at the deal, it wasn't that the deal wasn't good, but it was just too far afield from his other investments. And so he's decided not to move forward. And I remember naively thinking, Judy, oh, well, no big deal. Don will find someone else. And I didn't realize <laughs> that that whole group, you know, all uh, you know, lived and breathed on what Woody did and not on the value of the deal. So you had talked to me about what happens when you do have a term sheet and you, you do have one person who maybe will be the lead in a round, uh, because especially if you're talking to angels, they can't all write a check for three and a half million, right? If that's what you're exactly. looking for. So let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. So uh, you know, after you've survived due diligence, there will be a, a group of, of angels in, in typically in that group that, that want to write checks to you. Um, and you'll get a term sheet saying, you know, for X amount of your company, we'll give you X amount of, of money. That's the kind of the, the top term. Uh, but there's other ones you have to be very careful about, like anti-dilution, you know, right. never do anything, 3X. Um, but... Um, you know, it's important at that time because the hardest money is that first money in. And as soon as you've got that, then it would be wise to go to other angel groups. And hopefully you've already started forming relationships because much like you said, this is a relationship game <laughs> Yes, and it is a referral game. So Corrigan VC in New York just had a blog this week. And they went back and looked at every deal where they came from. Every single one was a referral. And so it is absolutely critical to have developed those relationships before you need the money um, and have been in talks with several angel groups or angel investors. And then when you get that first money in, then what usually happens is then people have FOMO, which is fear of missing out. So they know somebody <laughs> else has done all the due diligence and it's right. like, we better get in this deal. We're going to lose a good opportunity here, which is just a wonderful situation for the founder <laughs> to be in. Right. Well, that, that makes complete and total sense. But when should you say no? All money's not good money. Yes, there's some bad money out there. I would tell people to do due diligence on the investors, make sure they have no history of litigation. Get a couple of referrals from them and talk to them. Find out if they're control freaks, which I think you've dealt with that personally. Yes. Um, find out how they, they deal with conflict, um, you know, and, and so there there is some bad actors out there. I lovingly say avoid that dark triad of narcissistic Machiavellian right. uh, sociopaths. And, and the best way to kind of ferret them out is is by referrals. Now, they typically aren't in angel groups. Right. Um, but, but there are a few of these, um, you know, kind of, you know, I sold a company for a half a billion. Don't tell me what to do. Um, you don't want anybody like that. You, you want right. people that are going to coach and help you, someone that's going to have your back. And, and have your future because 70% of startups pivot. Um, and, and that's really required to be successful. That's research that's done by Clayton Christensen at, at Harvard. 
And so you're going to hit rough spots and you want someone who's going to be there with you, not threaten to sue you, take the company. Uh, And that doesn't happen a lot, but, but do be careful and do your due diligence. Well, and, and I, I need to comment just uh, quickly on this because my, my investor, I don't think he was truly a control freak. Uh, he, he demonstrated behavior that one might interpret that way. But what it was is he had been a private equity uh, fund ah, manager. And okay. so he, he didn't know how to deal with an entrepreneurial company that needed to pivot frequently. And, and yeah. the issue with him wasn't control. It was that he only doled the money out a week at a time, right? So, uh, and, and so the funding mechanism and the timing of that funding and the ability to present a business plan, live to it and have milestones that do trigger the next check to be written, that's fine. But weekly is a, a death knell. Right. And, and yeah. that may be the absolute extreme, but that's what we lived with because he kept yeah. hoping somebody else would come in so he wouldn't have to write the next check. Right. Yeah. And it was yeah. because of what happened with Woody Johnson that, uh, you know, that we ended up in that situation because he had never intended to invest six million in my venture. But he did yeah. stay in the whole time. You know, God bless him. And I, I just saw him the other night. And, uh, you know, we're still good friends, which, you know, again, if you can be friends with somebody who's lost that amount of money in your previous deal. Yeah. I mean, that's that's also a good thing about you. Right. Yeah. And congratulations. I mean, that says you've just got the utmost integrity and really high emotional intelligence. So congratulations. Well, thank you so much. So we've talked a little bit about due diligence. And and so the, the actual closing on the round and for those of us who have raised friends and family, um, that's, that's really, it's not a big deal, right? Because I, you know, I send out a, a a very simple subscription agreement and I actually use the Y Combinator, uh, safe agreement, uh, in, in our current deals that we have had and they sign it and they, they deposit the money in the bank account. So there isn't really a closing, uh, per se. So this is where you say that if you use, um, uh, a legal firm like, uh, Wilson Safini and, and Cooley, is that how you say the other one? Yes, yeah. Um, you know, they have a, a ton of experience in, in that arena. Now, we happen to have a, a law firm here in Tampa that only deals with entrepreneurial firms. They are actually, I believe, a partner in Florida Funders. And uh, it happens to be a, a female-owned firm. And, and she is going to be our attorney long-term. Uh, would you still recommend using uh, one of the the larger firms on the deal, uh, even if your permanent attorney is going to be someone local? Um, you know, if she has a lot of expertise, and she must, if if um, all of these groups are using her, she's just fine to to help get those um, deal docs um, right. done, sealed, and and delivered. Uh, but when you get to the point that you're going to be looking for uh, global strategic partners, that's where somebody, uh, a big firm, can open doors. And I yeah. tell people to do research on the firms. For instance, if you're anything in bio, uh, you look at a firm called MoFo. It's it's Morrison Foster, I believe. Uh, they're known as MoFo, um, and, and that is their expertise. Um, Wilson Sosini, you know, they, they did the, the deal with, uh, uh, Microsoft purchasing LinkedIn. 
Um, their clients include Facebook. And, and so it's always good to look at, you know, what their area of expertise, industry focus is, uh, because your expectation is, you know, you're going to need some help probably opening some of these key doors. Absolutely. Uh, and, of, and of course, you know, me being um, a, an advisor to you, I'm going to help you open those doors. I know people all over. Um, but uh, so, yes, um, uh, you know, fine for getting this uh, set of docs, getting everything done and good for you for using a document. So one of the hair on the deals is, you know, you got your neighbors and your uncle to <laughs> put in some money. Uh, and you didn't document it. Uh, and then there's a right. problem. No investor will come in because they're afraid that if it goes south, if there's a problem with the deal, these people could sue you. And it's really hard to go to Thanksgiving with your family when you've lost their money. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> so, so you want to be careful. <laughs> yes, very true. Uh, Judy, one of the things I want to point out to our listeners about your book is it is so incredibly practical. And, you know, you really can read it with a, a pen in hand and making notes to yourself. I always like to use the blank pages at the end of the book uh, to write my plan of what I'm going to do after I've read a certain part of the book. And that reminds me, and I, I, I like to use a highlighter, but you've also got these incredible appendices and, and you have alluded to some other things that you have online. So in, in the appendix, uh, you have, are you a power connector? And you've written another book or, or multiple books about networking, and, and I would encourage people to go back and, and read those. Uh, you also have the top 10 power connecting tips, successful pitch deck examples, due diligence questions, a due diligence checklist. So this isn't just theory. This is really from the essence of many, many successful deals that you've done. And, and I think you've also alluded in the book uh, to those that haven't done uh, quite as well for, for the very reasons that we've talked about on the call. Judy, what else would you like to share with our listeners today? Um, you know, thank you for the compliments. I, I got an, uh, a LinkedIn message from an individual who told me he'd read my book, um, used the very practical advice in there to negotiate a $2 billion loan. <laughs> Wow. Uh, which was, you know, nice. And, and then uh, this morning I got one from a fellow who has read 94 startup books and complimented me on how practical. And, and you know, I really wanted to demystify the yes. funding process because most people don't understand there's no lack of money and there's investors all over the place. Um, a, a lady in in uh, Silicon Valley just raised her second fund. And she said she has a group, she even calls micro angels that are putting in two to 5,000. And she right. said she was just amazed that everybody's got money. And, and a lot of people, uh, professionals like to invest, dabble two to 5,000 because there's the opportunity, you know, they could become mega millionaires. Yes. Um, and so I just, you know, I wanted to help people because I was really sad at how many really solid founders I had or had met right. that couldn't figure this out. And so, you know, I mentioned in the first session that your problem is actually the investor solution. Their biggest concern is not being able to find a good deal. And they're right. like hunting everywhere. I have investors calling me weekly. Uh, Judy, let me know. You know, I go to the conference, the guy from Google Cloud, if you've got good startups that would fit with us, please call me. Uh, the, the same thing everywhere. And so educating yourself, and, and that was really a big purpose of my book, is to just 
kind of break down that mystical, difficult to understand. Because if you were like me and you grew up kind of in lower middle class, I never knew anybody that had money. (laughs) And and I didn't know this whole ecosystem was out there. Uh, You know, I now have friends that are, are billionaires and truly they're looking for you. Well, and that is such encouragement. And, you know, as you aptly mentioned earlier in the call, uh, there will be days when you feel like you've run up against a brick wall. And one of the uh, characteristics, I think, of a great founder is that resilience to be able to bounce back. But having someone by their side like you, you know, even just in the form of your book, uh, you know, if they aren't fortunate enough to actually have a relationship with you. But the the beautiful thing that you've just shared is that they can reach out to you and tell you how much your book has meant to them, right? And then they do have a relationship with you. You are so accessible. And I love that about you, Judy. And so uh, again, we have been talking to the author of Crack the Funding Code, Judy Robinette. Judy, where is the best place for them um, you know, really to follow you and, and to learn uh, more about this. And, you know, do you blog? Uh, share that with us. So I'm very active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Anybody that writes to me, I, I try to provide help. And I will often get in the, get on a call with people just to give them some quick advice. Um, and then I hear later back they were funded, which makes me do the happy oh. dance. Absolutely. My email is judy at judyrobinette.com. No E on the end. Um, so I'm very accessible. I, I love to help people because it helps me learn and get smarter. Um, I'm going to be on Fox Business with Maria. Uh, I've been on Yahoo Finance TV. I think I have five more sessions and I'm frequently interviewed. So if you just Google me, you can find all kinds of information to read. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, Maria should be a good deal of fun about this, and I can't wait to to hear about that interview. Um, Judy, it has just been amazing as usual. If you have not read this book, run, don't walk to uh, your nearest bookseller or where she can order it online. Crack the Funding Code with Judy Robinette. Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you. All right, it has been terrific. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas, inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald.